Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Dave Hall here again, your host, excited to be talking about retirement. If you are new to the show, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, This is the show where we talk about getting you safely through retirement. It's going to be one of the longest periods of self-imposed unemployment you're going to experience in your lifetime. It could last 10 years, maybe 20. Heck, it could be 30 or 40. It's what we call retirement. And we're always excited to be here talking about what you can do to eliminate the various risks you're going to face during this period of time. If you want to learn more about what we're doing, go ahead and go to my website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Here you'll be able to get access to the resources and planning tools you need to help you through this period of time. Very excited about today's show. Many times we talk about specific risks, some of the challenges you're going to face. Today, we're going to be talking about the fun part of retirement, and that is travel. I know it's something that I look forward to. Now, I do have two new disabled children that one we've adopted, the other we're in the process of. Not sure how that might impact my own travel, but hopefully today we can get some good answers, maybe for me, but also for those of you listening on things you can do. I've got with me as our guest today, Pam Saylor. She's written a book uh, published last year, Braving the World, Adventures in Travel and Retirement. Pam, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me on your show. Pam, this is a fun opportunity to be able to talk about one of my passions, something they've done a lot of during my lifetime, but that's traveling, especially as we get into retirement. Maybe you can start us off by talking a little bit about your experience, uh, what got you to write this book and some basic travel, and then we'll get into the details of uh, other questions that I've had in regards to this topic. Well, travel has been a passion of mine also since my first trip to Europe in 1999. So when my husband and I retired in 2016, we immediately began planning our ultimate dream trip. We wanted to live in Italy for an entire year. And we managed it, but our trip was a crash course in travel. It was an intense, hands-on learning experience. So when we got back from our year-long adventure, I wanted to share all the tips and tricks that we had learned while traveling long-term. So I wrote a book, as you mentioned, called Braving the World, Adventures in Travel and Retirement. So tell me a little bit about what you did to prepare originally for this trip. I mean, a year is a long time. I know there are people that do it. I've had a number of friends that have gone on one or two-year adventures. What are some things that you had to do to prepare yourself for this long of a period of time, not only to be away from home, but to be out of the country? Well, I'm I'm a hardcore list maker, and preparation is essential. And we spent a year planning this trip. There was a lot of research, a lot of details, and a lot of paperwork to get in order. For example, healthcare. I am a type 1 diabetic, so I immediately began stockpiling insulin and other supplies as soon as we started planning this trip. We both set up doctor's appointments and dental appointments and got flu vaccines and hepatitis shots that were recommended by the CDC. But we also had to plan money. And we didn't want to pay foreign ATM fees, bank transaction fees. So we did some research and learned that Capital One offered a checking account that didn't charge any foreign fees. So we set up an online Capital One account, checking account, and linked it to our main bank account. Now, to live in Italy for a year, we needed a special long-term residence visa. 
but despite all my research, we didn't get it. So we shifted our plans, and we spent our year moving around between Rome, Croatia, London, and Venice for a year, with some side trips thrown into Spain, Germany, and a few other places. So we, we kind of fell down on the visa, but we went anyway. We had to rent an apartment in Rome. We had to find a renter for our townhome. We had to find someone to collect our mail for a year. We sold both of our cars. So during the planning stage, I admit we were both pretty anxious and wondered a few times if we were crazy and doing the wrong thing. But we kept moving forward, and I'm really glad we did. Yeah, one of the things that I had read uh, in, I think, the review of the book is you had brought up, and it's a topic that, that's really important to me because I find that people spend way too much time worrying. You talked about the, the things you needed to worry about and the things that you, you really didn't, that maybe you were worrying about, that you realized that weren't going to come to pass. Talk a little bit about that process. Uh, again, when you're talking about a year period of time, uh, many things we oftentimes don't think about, like the mail. How are we going to take care of, of that coming in? What's that visa going to look like? I know CR, the one who is the one who edits this show, he just had some issues with the, just his passport trying to get out of the country. So from a worrying standpoint, what did that look like for you guys initially? And did you find that many of your worries were, were warranted or, or are there a lot of things you're worried about that you really shouldn't have? You know, we worried about everything and woke up at 3 a.m. most of the time worrying about things. But once we got going, uh, one of the things we initially worried about was budgeting because we didn't want to run up credit card debt. We didn't want to eat up our savings on traveling. We wanted to live within our budget, within our monthly disposable income. And while we were planning our trip, one friend asked us if we had won the lottery. Now, of course, we didn't win the lottery, but to stick to a budget, we came up with a daily spending allowance, which is our disposable income after paying bills divided by 30. And that told us how much we could spend each day. It was an easy way to keep on track with our budget and know if we were overspending or even underspending some days. So that was a challenge we worried about before we left. But once we got up and running, budgeting seemed to work out for us. Homesickness was something we worried about a lot, but, you know, everybody's got a phone nowadays. Everyone has a computer and an iPad. It's really easy to stay in touch with family and friends back home. So that ended up being something we worried about that was a manageable problem. One of the things I didn't worry about, but it came to pass pretty quickly, is that it was hard for me, a planner, an organizer, to go with the flow because I like to plan things. I don't like it when things go wrong. And when you're out on the road and you're traveling, there are bumps in the road. There are things that go wrong. There are train strikes and transportation shuts down. And it was a learning curve for me to, to learn to just go with the flow, adapt, get used to the un unexpected. I also didn't worry about living together in a small apartment, but that ended up being kind of a thing that we had to deal with because when you're working full-time, you're not on top of each other 24-7. But when you're traveling, you're in a small apartment, you're there, right? Day, morning, noon, and night. So that was an interesting change for us. But all the challenges that came, some we expected, some we didn't expect, we got the hang of it after a few months and we settled in and it was a really amazing experience. 
Pam, talk a little bit about the budgeting side. I know that's one of the big concerns many people have. They look at travel. And if I go traveling, it costs me 10 times more than what it normally would to live on a daily basis. Now I have eight children. And by the time you pay for airfare and hotels and theme parks and all the things kids want to do, it becomes very expensive. What did you find? You said you guys wanted to stay within your general living costs that you would have at home. Were you able to do that? We really were. Everyone has a different budget. Our budget was fairly generous, but we still had to watch our rental. The biggest expense you're going to have is monthly rent. And so we would rent apartments that were not plush. They were clean. They were in a good neighborhood. We've always felt safe and secure, but we did not get large apartments that were plush. We got basic you know, functional apartments. We would look for freebies. A lot of things you can do for free. A lot of museums overseas are completely free. We would go walking for miles and miles every day. We would take picnic lunches. We would splurge sometimes on dinners and meals. But a lot of times we would just eat at home or we would pack a lunch or we would get an inexpensive sandwich. So rent is a big expense. You can, you know, keep that under control. Food is a big expense. You can usually keep that under control. And everything else is just entertainment, which is something you can spend as much or as little as you want to. And how did you find those costs compared to here? Was the food about the same, rent about the same, or were you paying more than you would have paid at your home back here in the States? I think rent was very affordable. We usually went through Airbnb and they have monthly rates. Most uh, renters, landlords have monthly rates. And so we did pretty well finding apartments that were affordable. As far as food, I think food was more expensive over there. We ate less meat because meat was pretty expensive. We would eat a lot more vegetables, fruits, vegetables, pasta. So that was something that was definitely different. We didn't have a car. But gas is a lot more expensive over there. It was back then, and I'm sure it still is. But it's just something of, of picking out what's important to you. We both love museums. So we were going to spend money on museums, and we would find somewhere else to cut back on the budget. And we managed to stay on budget on our entire trip. The, the nice thing uh, that we have now, really, is the internet and the ability to research this stuff. I, I know we got stuck in Madrid one time for, on a trip back to the U.S. We'd been out to Rome, had taken a cruise through the Mediterranean, and we'd got stuck there. And we got a voucher at the airport for just over $100. Now, if I'd got that voucher here in the United States with myself, my wife, and at the time we had three of our kids with us, we probably would have barely been able to buy a hamburger to be able to feed you know everybody to buy one mill there, the cost was so cheap inside that airport, we, we had more than we could deal with. In fact, the, the lady at the convenience store, she wanted the whole voucher because you could only use it once and she knew it'd go to waste. So she just kept telling us, grab more stuff, grab more stuff. We had like three meals of food coming out of the airport going, okay, I guess we put it in our bag. We're flying back to New York. We'll have some food once we get into New York. But as you look at it, there, there can be a big adjustment. And like you say, it sounds like a little more expensive in some areas that you were at. But, but again, if we look out, we can kind of manage manage what that is. One of the things I know with you, and you brought it up, was this issue with your diabetes and obviously healthcare. What did you guys do there? Were you able to buy some insurance that if there was a problem, it could cover you? <laughs> or, or were you really just fully exposed to being overseas like you were? We were able to retire early and 
or even luckier still, we were able to keep our health insurance. My husband worked for the federal government. So when he retired, we kept that health insurance and it works overseas. Medicare does not work overseas. So for the average retiree who's going overseas, you can't use your Medicare. You can't get reimbursed later. So you will need to have travel insurance. We didn't need to have that particular thing, but it's easy to get. There are a lot of websites that where you can compare prices and coverage and come up with the perfect plan for you. Just make sure if you have a pre-existing condition like diabetes, that you get a plan that will cover a pre-existing condition. And did you have to use health services at all overseas uh, during that year? We did. We had uh, a couple times we had to go to a local clinic for various sore throat and various problems. We didn't pay for anything over there. I had to go to a doctor for a sore throat in Rome. We went to a clinic, didn't pay anything. In London, unfortunately, we had to use the emergency room, didn't pay anything. Healthcare is, is free over there, even for foreigners. I didn't realize that uh, was an option over there, but uh, good to know. And again, things that as we go through the process, and I assume that's a big part of the book, is explaining some of these things that people generally wouldn't think about. Yeah, right. I wanted to give everyone uh, what we learned while we were over there. More than 50% of CPAs will run out of money in retirement, and this number is projected to grow because of risks like inflation, increased longevity, and rising healthcare costs. Retirement Risks Advisors has the perfect solution to help CPAs make their money last as long as they do. Learn more by signing up for our flagship webinar, Getting Safely Through Retirement. In this webinar, we share the top 10 financial risks CPAs will face in retirement and what can be done to reduce or eliminate each risk. To get started, visit retirementriskadvisors.com safe. One of the other issues you brought up was just being together 24-7. Now, <laughs> I had the opportunity to do that in my late teens, early 20s as a missionary for my church. Had to be with another person 24-7 at that point, learned to be around people very well, and I guess maybe why I have so many kids. And now I'm just used to having people around me all the time and never alone, and that's okay with me. That works out well. But as you mentioned, I know for many couples, that's not even the case just going into retirement and being around each other all day, but let alone on a trip where you really don't have places generally you could get out and get away. Talk a little bit more about what that was like for you and maybe some tips that people could use to help them as they go through this transition. Well, I found out that I am a pretty introverted person and that I like people, but that means for me, I like time alone to regroup, to rebalance, to kind of just settle myself. It, and so I needed that, and I discovered that really on our trip because we were together 24-7 in small apartments. So it kind of built up the tension until we talked about it finally and decided we needed to split up a little more. So I would go out and take a backpack and a book, and I'd go wandering around, find a park, sit by myself and read for a couple hours. Dave was uh, the grocery shopper, so he would spend a little more time going grocery shopping just to leave me alone in the apartment, and he would take his camera because he loves taking pictures, and he'd be gone for a couple hours. So we found ways to spend time apart, get out of the apartment, or sometimes just be alone in the apartment was nice, and it, it really took a while to learn how to give each other space to do that. Uh, and it is odd being in a foreign country where you don't understand the language. You're the only 
the only other person you can talk to is your spouse who's right there all the time. So you rely on each other a lot. You need each other a lot, but you also need your time alone, I found out. Yeah, I, I would guess that would be the case, especially if you're not used to having that interaction. And as you say, now you're making a lot of decisions together that maybe you used to make individually and you're doing things. I know for myself, when we travel, I love to go 24-7. I, I just want to be going. I don't care what it is. I just want to be seeing things, trying new foods, doing whatever the case is. My wife's very happy to take uh, half the day or maybe even a full day and just rest. Re, you know, vacation for her is just getting away and not having the interaction with kids maybe. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can see where as you look at it, even for a married couple that have been together for years, where that could be a little problematic as you, you go through that period. Right. Pam, talk a little bit about, as you look at the experience of coming back, was it hard to get settled back into your life once you got back in the U.S. after being gone for a year? It was easy and it was hard. We hadn't driven a car for a year and driving a car was, was simple. It was easy. There's nothing to learn there. But there was a reverse culture shock. I mean, when I walked into our our local grocery store, the thing is huge. It's the size of an airport hangar. It's, it's 10 times the size of your typical European grocery store. And the selection was incredible. And I would just wander up and down the aisles trying to decide on a shampoo because grocery store in Rome, you'd have three choices of shampoo. Look at your shampoo aisle, dozens, hundreds of choices. So, it was really odd to come back and be faced with all of the the clothes, the blankets, the the house was bigger. We just have so much stuff and it was a very strange homecoming. It was a very strange homecoming. But we adapted pretty quickly and you know, I would go back in a heartbeat though and be back in France if I could. And what about your husband? Is he as excited to go traveling again or, or where's he at in the process? Oh, yeah. He, wa he wants to go, too. And in fact, we're going this fall to a trip to France for about three weeks. And then we're going to go to Hungary for about a month. And in between, we're going to take a flight over to Cairo and go back there to look at the, the uh, new museum that's opened up recently. What are you finding post-pandemic as far as from the travel side? Is it from your side getting more expensive? I know for me, I, I travel quite a bit, gotten way more expensive. Most all of it's here inside the U.S., but I trip from Memphis where I live now to Las Vegas that used to be maybe 100 bucks could easily be two, three, or $400 now for me to go that far. What are you seeing from an international side, and is that impacting you at all as you look for future traveling? It is more expensive. We booked our flight to France that's going to happen in September. We booked it back in February, and I'm glad we did because since then, the, the fees have gone up hundreds of dollars. So booking things early seems to be one way to avoid higher fees. Also going in the off-season. We are going in September, which is the off-season for travel. Things are a little cheaper. Rents are a little cheaper. Hopefully, airfares as we travel around Europe will not be quite so expensive. But I think things costing more is just the way it's going to be now, whether you're at home or whether you travel. 
It's just the way of life nowadays. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, definitely inflation seems to be here to stay for a while. Now, I will say my belief it's not going to be here for years because of recessions and other things that are going to bring things back around, but definitely a struggle. One of the things you brought up, and I know I had experienced it, we lived in Puerto Rico for five years. You probably don't know that. Many of the listeners do, but I do not speak Spanish. So at times the language barrier became a bit of a problem with technology wasn't uh, ever a huge issue. What did you find from, from that end? Were you able to communicate uh, all the time in a way to get what you needed? Or were there times that you just had to settle for something because you couldn't communicate appropriately? Well, I took Italian classes, language classes for a couple years before we left, just because I, I loved the language and wanted to learn the language. And so I really thought when we got to Italy that that would help me out a lot. And it did and it didn't. It helped me when I was reading things, menus, uh, books, uh, articles. I could get the gist of something that was written. But the spoken Italian language went way too fast for me, and I couldn't really understand it as well as I thought I'd be able to. But it didn't matter because everywhere we went, people spoke English. And as soon as they uh, would say something in Italian, I would try and reply in Italian they would switch over to English. So I really never got a chance to practice my Italian. Uh, and language was really not a barrier because you could work it out with pantomime. You could work it out writing things down, pointing. It worked out pretty well. I know I use Google Translate all the time. Yes. Uh, people weren't used to it at the time. And I'd pop into somewhere, usually as doctor's offices. I had a kidney transplant while I was in Puerto Rico. So I was in and out of dozens and dozens of doctor's offices during that period of time. And for whatever reason, most of their assistants did not speak English, but the doctors would. So I would go in there and they wouldn't know what I was talking about. And I'd pull out my phone, talk into it. It would then repeat it back in Spanish. They'd talk in Spanish. It'd repeat it back in English and seemed to work very well for us. Uh, but again, using Spanish and Puerto Rico's got the issue too. They, they speak too fast and they drop their endings. So even for those who speak Spanish, many of my friends do, and they say, I, we still have struggles trying to understand them, but it, it seemed to work for us. Yeah, the translation software, Google Translate, there are a couple others, they work really well. And if you fill your phone up with apps, um, it's, I mean, you, you will be able to talk and speak and get around and and figure out where you're at. It's, I mean, you can never have too many apps on your phone. Agree with that. Pam, we're coming to the end of this show. I can't believe how fast our time goes. I say it every week, uh, 20 minutes comes and goes uh, way too quickly. Any parting tips, uh, recommendations that you would have for those that are considering travel and retirement that maybe we've not covered yet? Well, I think planning is always uh, an important part of travel. I think too many people hesitate to travel and they, they find a reason not to go and they don't want to be away from their family. But I'm glad we went, and I think more people need to get out there and travel. You're not going to live forever. You can't take it with you. I mean, that's kind of my take on travel is I can never get enough of it, and I wish more people would go long-term, travel slowly, settle in, get to know the country, and, and it's just an amazing experience. 
Pam, I'm 100% in agreement with what you're saying there. I do believe, listeners, that you do need to get out more. I've got a good client and friend that is not going out like he should. He's got a wife that wants to travel. She's got some health issues. He's too busy with work, although he makes plenty of money to retire. He just won't do it. I'm really afraid that the day's going to come and go where she's going to lose her health and not be able to travel by the time he decides it is time to go. So as Pam's saying, take advantage of your health. Take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, it maybe cost you a little bit more today than it did last year, but get out, see the world, experience new things, and keep those memories for a lifetime. That's the great thing about travel. You can have it with you uh, for the rest of your life. For those of you that would like to learn more about uh, Pam's book, Braving the World, Adventures in Travel and Retirement, uh, Pam, please let us know how they can get a copy of the book, where they can go to be able to get access to this great book on travel to help them better understand things they can prepare for for their next trip. Well, you can buy the book on Amazon, or you can go to my website, bravingtheworldbook.com, and look at some pictures from our travels, and buy the book with follow a link there, and just learn more about the book in general. Perfect. Pam, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you. Listeners, you've been listening to the Retirement Risk Show. My name is Dave Hall. I've been your host. Please join us again next week where we'll be talking about topics to help you get safely through retirement and to help you deal with that longest self-imposed period on employment most of you will have in your lifetime. It is what we call retirement. And that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. We come out with a new episode every Friday morning, and you don't want to miss it. If you want to continue the conversation from our podcast, join Dave every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time on the Retirement Risk Advisors Facebook page as he answers your retirement questions live. The Retirement Risk Show is a production of the Retirement Risk Advisors. Our show was produced by C.R. Talene and Autumn Koenig. If you're a CPA looking for more retirement education, visit retirementriskadvisors.com to sign up for more than 15 free CPE retirement webinars.